Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Olinger, joined, as always, by Sean Kennedy. And Sean, you know, I don't know what else to say. Seth Curry does still not have a bell ringer award. I, I don't know what is that. The, what do you think it is? Like, there has to be some kind of conspiracy going on because he has played well enough to win it. But he, are you running the conspiracy? Are the fans themselves, like, decide, have, our, have the Liberty Ballers readers, like, co-conspirated together to make sure Seth does not win a bell ringer award and the bit continues. What are your thoughts? <laughs> it would be co-conspired. I, I'm um, really struggling with that. Uh, it's not me. I know you, you like to always blame me. And I, I maintain that I am an impartial arbitrator of the bell ringer polls. And I try to present the, in, the information in a way to just let people know what happened and they can make their own decisions and maybe that's the problem maybe you need to just start like the next one with all caps <laughs> seth curry should win this you fools or something. well then then i don't feel like it's a justified award i feel like that it would be tainted i i, I and i know he's he's too proud of an individual to accept such a tainted bell ringer so i, I wouldn't do that to him um yeah i don't, I don't know it's i i really thought the 6-3 game was his big shot uh, to finally grab one. It, it just seems that whenever he has had a good game, it's kind of coincided with somebody either, either having a tremendous game or everybody playing well and no, no one really distinguishes themselves. And then people kind of gravitate towards the big stars and, and like, Oh, uh, Simmons has his Australian fan base. So he gets it. Or MB is, you know, obviously the MB- MVP of the team. So and can run for mayor of Philadelphia and win. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's going to be tough. Um, we were talking a little bit off air about what it would take for Seth to get one in these last handful of games, and I I think it's going to have to be. They've already clinched the one seed, and there's a couple games left, and they maybe sit half the roster one game, and then half the roster the other game. And the game he plays, he has a really good game, and a lot of the other starters are sitting out. Uh, it might have to be that. I don't know. But Seth, uh, Seth Curry, you are uh, the bell ringer in my heart. So, which counts for about as much as what? Like, I mean, it counts for about as much as the Pacers' season does at this point. Because did you see what what's going on in Indiana today? Yeah, it. The, the the yelling at the assistant coach by and Goga, then the, and then and the, the article today, like, yeah, he's saying like, you know, um. They're not even like the everything is fine meme. It's like they're outright just saying everything is not fine. There is a fire and we cannot put it out. They're they're calling 911 actively. And uh, TJ Warren is calling from home after having elective yeah. surgery because he didn't want to play for his coach. Uh, wow. It's, you, you know, if, if the Sixers drop a game in the next week or so and I, I, I get a little down in the moment, I, I can just kind of maybe pull up that Pacers article and uh, recognize that things can always get much, much worse. That's so I was partially bringing it up because one of the Sixers last six games is at Indiana. So like just going through, it goes, they have the Pelicans. So it's tomorrow for us, but when you all be listening to this, hopefully it comes out Friday morning. So the Pelicans that Friday, the Pistons the next night, then they go at Indiana at Miami and then back to back home games versus the Orlando magic to end the season. And looking at games where Seth could maybe get that bell ringer or have one of those big games, I would just say the two most likely candidates would be the Pelicans, where the Pelicans are notorious for not being the tightest on their defensive rotations and giving up some threes that you would not advise for. So that's one. But also the Pacers, like the Pacers go over on everything. Just basically since the Pacers are such a mess right now and they gave up a million open threes to the Wizards in that super high scoring game the other day where Westbrook had like 24 assists. They, the Pacers defense is a mess. So maybe that's another team. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, Pacers have been losing a lot lately. had a lot of injuries this year. Uh, good friends of mine on Twitter and who's been on the pod before Mark Schindler and also Caitlin Cooper at Indy Cornroads have very well documented that they go over on like every screen like if you remember the Sixers Pacers games earlier this year they were going over in pick and roll coverage against Ben Simmons ball screens which is like I mean sure I mean if you if you're feeling that do it but like that is not it didn't work very well and they've been doing it too much all season 
and then against the um, Kings last night when they were getting stomped, I think it was something about like Gogo Batadze, like their third string center. He he basically, I think he gave up a shot where it looked like he didn't give much effort, and the their assistant Greg Foster really started yelling, and then Miles Turner got up and had to restrain him. The Pacers basically were all in like their own huddle as they were clearly mad at each other. Greg Foster has been suspended for one game. And then the article dropped from Jake Fisher this morning about basically um, there's a very good chance Nate Bjorkian is going to get fired right after they get eliminated from the playoffs, I would guess, because they're <laughs> a ton of yeah. function. That, the articles on Bleacher Report, for everyone who wants to read it, would recommend just because it's it's stunning, honestly, like everything that's going on with them. And what, Liberty I, Baller's alumnus, Jake Fisher, we might want to. That's right. We, we train the best here. Um, yes. But and as Sean alluded to, with Sixers killer TJ Warren, like basically he had the season ender. They said he yeah he got his season ending surgery because it's the best for his recovery, but also because like I think they said that Bajorkian was a part of the Suns staff for a while, and TJ Warren was on the Phoenix Suns, and it seems like TJ did not like his experience there, and that played into his fact like I'm just not going to play for this guy, so he really wanted the season ending surgery. Which yeah, is- I, I liked how it pointed out that since uh, Warren was, you know, such a big part of their their bubble success, had had the huge play last year, that maybe they should have consulted the guy who was going to be an important part of your team moving forward about his shared experience with the coach before you hire him. Uh, how did that evaluation get missed it is is fair to say tj warren wasn't like maybe their number one guy in the organization although the pacers had this the pacers had this weird thing for a while now it's like well who is the number one guy like technically coming into the season oladipo might have had the most sway before like he decided he wanted to leave and then you have like sabonis miles turner malcolm brogdon tj warren now karis lavert like a lot of guys who are very very good but it's hard to say like you can have an argument as to which one of those should matter the most. And maybe that's a problem where it's like, it's kind of hard to determine who really is the head of the snake of that team. Where it's like, it's very clear in Philadelphia. Yeah. Joel Embiid matters more than everyone. It's just how, how it goes here. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying Warren's their best player, but he was a starter for them. So here's a guy that is one of your starters who has played for this coach before. So maybe, maybe just give him a call. Be like, Hey, what, what was your experience like? uh with with nate in the past like do do you guys get along you think he'd be a good hire for us um and if he said like no i hated him to the point where if you make me play for him i will get elective surgery that could be a red flag in your hiring process you know that is like (laughs) i would rather get a surgery and miss the entire season than play that does seem like a bad thing um and it's also mentioned like how the runner up, basically the other options were Mike D'Antoni, who everyone knows Mike D'Antoni's coaching success, now an assistant for the Nets, and Chris Finch, who has taken over as the Timberwolves head coach. And is honestly, after the Timberwolves had like another disastrous start, the Timberwolves have been much better under Chris Finch, and they've looked a little bit better. So yeah, they gotten they've gotten healthier. Like they they, they lost okay. they lost Cat for a little bit, and um, uh, Russell since he came back he kind of eased him back in in a six man yeah. role and that seemed to look good. And, uh, you know, they've won six of the last 10. So yeah, I, I mean, I, there's, there's definitely positives to take away if you're a Timberwolves fan from, you know, even though they're still going to be towards the bottom of the standings. Mm-hmm. Oh, all this to say, this is a lot of Pacers talk for this <laughs> podcast, but a lot, a lot of talk about teams that aren't in first place in the East. Yeah. Although <laughs> important that the Pacers are probably going to be in the play-in still just because they've won enough games. It'll probably be them versus the Wizards in that 9-10 spot. Um, given the way the teams are trending both now, I mean, it's a one-off game, so anything could happen. I would I would rather, I would think that the Wizards, like, like looking at right now, the Wizards, I would predict to win something like that. The 7-8 right now, and it's super close between the, because the 7-8 right now are the Heat and the Hornets, and you have the Celtics at 6, just barely ahead of them. The Hawks and the Knicks seem to have enough separation, probably barring a collapse to really fall out of their spots. So you would assume like the Celtics in the heat and like they can win a one-off game. Then it might be like Hornets versus Wizards plays the Sixers in that one, eight matchup uh, just off the top of your head. Who would you rather play Hornets or Wizards? And, if, and actually we can throw the Pacers in there, but given how they are right now, I think Pacers would be the team I wanted to play the most. Just I think the Sixers would probably run through them, but <laughs> yeah. Plus we could recycle all of our great Joel Embiid, Miles Turner stuff. 
so, so yeah definitely sign me up for that um between charlotte and washington i guess i'd rather play charlotte there's just there's well, they're fun a, a they're very fun to watch so just from like an aesthetic standpoint i think that'd be a fun series to get to get to see and uh i just feel like they're they're so inexperienced like it'd be kind of a happy to be here vibe with them um washington i don't know you got deal who's had huge games against us in the past and he he would be a a really tough uh assignment for those sixers perimeter defenders as good as they are which we will discuss but uh yeah you hate to see that and then westbrook is just his flaws are much discussed obviously and we've brought them up before but he's he is playing very very good right now so you, you just there's just a uh, there's kind of a chaos factor with Washington that I don't feel like would be there with Charlotte. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And part of it's because, I mean, Charlotte's big thing is like they just don't have a center at all who could handle Embiid, which I mean, it's it's reductive usually to say, oh, this team isn't big enough or strong enough to handle a post up player inside. But the Hornets literally like. Yeah, they play P.J. Washington at the five a, a decent amount. And then love like what, what would they they would have to go to like Biombo and then that's just playing five on four offensively. So Biombo uh, in its hands of stone. Yep, exactly. So yeah, I, I think, I think Charlotte would be great. I mean, that'd be a, a really good warm up for the Sixers in the an, first round and it would be fun as a viewer. So an incredibly fun four games. Yeah. And I like the wizards too. You talked about Westbrook and Beal obviously have been, I mean, Westbrook's playing out of his mind right now and, the big thing is, I would say, would have thought the Wizards before like would have been a pretty easy matchup because when they were just playing Mo Wagner at center, it's like, yeah, he's getting killed by me. But now they've shorted up. They have that three-man rotation at center with Alex Len, Daniel Gafford, and Robin Lopez, which, I mean, that's about as good as you're going to do. Those are three big dudes who know what they're doing, all very strong, all very capable. And not, not none of them murder your offense. Like, Rolo's got his post hooks. Len can at least, like, the lens probably offensively the most limited. And then you have Gafford has just been a great lob threat for them. It's really ticked up. I would say the big advantage between the Sixers wizards thing is that like a series with them <laughs> is that the wizards answers for Tobias Harris, like ISOing is Rui Hachimura and then no. <laughs> so, so that I would, I would expect a pretty good Tobias series. They were playing them. And ultimately I would hope the Sixers can probably, whether it's the Hornets, the, Wizards or the Pacers can run through them. Just hoping it's not the Celtics or the Heat, just because you don't want experienced teams. You don't want the two defending conference finalists in the first round, no matter how much you've played well against them in the regular season. For sure. And there's a lot of mental baggage associated with either of those series. So, yeah, that that should definitely be uh, in Sixers fans' minds as light a candle and, and hope that that doesn't happen, you know? We, we definitely don't want to see a Boston or Miami first round series. Yeah, but it, it is fun to talk about the Sixers. I mean, they're pretty much going to get the one seed, it looks like now, because the Nets lost both their games to the Bucks. That now the Nets are two games behind the Sixers and basically three in a way because they do not, the Sixers hold the tiebreaker over the Nets. The Bucks are three games behind the Sixers. Bucks swept the Sixers, so they would hold a tiebreaker over them. But, you know. Yeah, just, just to, to lay it out for the listeners, the Sixers would still clinch first, even if they lose two of their last six games. So as if they win four games, they definitely will get it. And then three and three, or it would depend even if Brooklyn loses it all, or, you know, Milwaukee would have to run the table, but yeah, if they win four of their last six games, they definitely get the first seed. So it's looking good. Barring a big collapse, like they've probably got the one seed locked up, which is, I mean, it's very nice to have. Like we talked about it a lot before in previous pods. It is very important they get that one seed because if you saw some of those Nets Bucks games, like a Nets Bucks second round series is going to be a bloodbath. That those two teams are just I, the way I compare it. I like college football a lot. Um, the past few years where the SEC champs in Alabama and LSU played a uh, what was it? they played Oklahoma and Notre Dame, whereas Ohio State and Clemson play each other. It's kind of like Al, what is it? Uh, you let Alabama and uh, LSU like they just get to take a quick run through a field like as they go to the championship. Meanwhile, Ohio State and Clemson were giving like they were both given machetes and told to try and hack each other to death. Like it's the equivalent of that. Where the Sixers probably are 
going pretty easily to the conference finals, whereas the Nets, but like that's just a brutal second round series. Those are such good teams. Yeah, those two games they just played were a lot of fun to watch. And not not only does getting the one seed help you avoid playing both of those teams potentially, but who, yeah, whoever emerges from that potential second round series, you, you figure they're going to be a little more worn down. They're going to have gone through a mentally and physical and physically grueling six or most likely seven game series. And then hopefully the Sixers on the other side will have had an easier time of it. We'll have a, a little additional rest going into a potential conference finals matchup. Uh, yeah, things are just aligning very well right now if you're a Philadelphia fan. And looking at the teams the Sixers would most likely play in the second round, this is all still like we're very much assuming a lot of things here, but it is, I feel like, a decent assumption that the Knicks and Hawks seem like they're going to be that 4-5 matchup. Like, who would you rather play between those teams? Because I kind of think – I'm trying to think. It's very hard to say who would be a better or worse matchup for the Sixers because the Hawks, like – offensively you just worry about do they have enough offensive firepower to keep up but I feel like after watching the Sixers and Hawks play those two games like especially if DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish aren't ready to go like Ben Simmons just plowed through them they did not have anyone athletic enough to stop him and Clint Capella is really good but Embiid still got what he needed I, I think they the Sixers would probably just be too much for the Hawks whereas I feel like the Knicks at least I mean in theory, the Knicks shouldn't be as good as they are, even as they've been this season. But if Julius Randle just keeps being like second team All NBA, Julius Randle, you have to think they're still pretty good. Yeah. Uh, when it comes down to it, I'm not overly concerned about the Sixers having trouble with either of those teams. I, I guess the Knicks would be a little bit more worrisome just because they're going to bog down the game they're going to play rugged defense and if you kind of it's the old thing like limit the number of possessions and it becomes a closer game and then the more outliers can happen like the underdog team can make one one or two shots here or there and because it's a close game that has more of a chance to swing the outcome than if like when, when when the process Sixers were like, hey, we want to lose games. How can we ensure we lose more games? We'll have as many possessions as possible in the game to to allow for the talent disparity to have every chance to show itself. So we're going to play at the fastest pace in the league. And the, the Knicks are kind of the opposite of that. So uh, I guess from that perspective, I'd rather play Atlanta. And also just from the, I do not want to watch the Sixers and Knicks grind out 90 to 88 games five to six times i would also rather play atlanta yeah if the sixers played the hornets and then the knicks in rounds one and two what a like drastic difference in like styles and the aesthetics of a series like one will be very fun like the Nets will be going crazy sixers will be winning late but like miles bridges goes in between the legs mid-game whereas it's you know it's 84 85 and alec burks like trying to iso against ben simmons late in the game like <laughs> <laughs> it goes from Lamella Ball underhand passing from 70 feet to Tibbs yelling ice 80 times a game. Do they still play ice all the time? Because I mean, like some teams, like, they can't do as much as they used to. I don't know. That was just, that was just my go-to Tibbs reference. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's the most memorable thing about him. Like, if you watched any of like basketball in the early 2000s, you remember Tibbs ice, ice, yeah. ice. He's got such a distinct voice. And it go, he goes hoarse by, like, the beginning oh, yeah. of the third quarter. Oh, exactly. Um, but we're, we're talking a lot about looking forward for the Sixers. Uh, after that four-game losing streak that kind of had us all questioning them a bit, they won their last six, given um, none of the six teams. They, I mean, the Hawks, except for the Hawks, the other four teams they played in the six-game win streak all have losing records, including – maybe the two worst active teams in the NBA right now in the Rockets and the Thunder. So, but you know, you can only, you can only play who's on your schedule and they handle business against all of them. Really the only game that was in any doubt was the Spurs win on Sunday, 113 and 111 overtime winning off that buzzer beating Tippin from Ben Simmons. Um, any thoughts from the past few, like the past few games, let's say the last three games, the Sixers beating the Rockets, the Bulls and the Spurs on that road trip. Uh, I guess 
the, my biggest takeaway is just that Doc seems to still be favoring the all bench lineups. Yeah. Which is a little worrying. And it he hasn't even come out and said like, oh, it's just the regular season and we're going to like this is going to change in the playoffs. We're going to condense the rotation like he's out there saying like eh, it's something we still might use and we might play 11, even 12 guys in the postseason. And it's just like, haven't we seen enough? OK, they have a 14 point lead. Here comes the all bench lineup up. Oh, now the starters have to go back in because we're only up four. It is like, how- on to every night. <laughs> It's like this up up twenty late in the third. It's like come back in. But you gotta imagine Ben and like MB just looking at each other as they come back in and it's up six. Like it was probably they probably enjoyed last night that instead against the Rockets the bench because the Rockets were playing a team that I mean I don't want to disparage those Rockets guys, but that was not an adequate NBA team. So they well, just- well, also they they only had seven guys available at the start yeah, of the game, and then then their best player. Yes, so their their best player that they had out there gets hurt. They're down to six players, um, and they had been playing fine most of the game. It wasn't it wasn't like the first Hawks game or the Thunder game where it was like a blowout. They were they were down like twelve to fourteen the entire game, like playing scrappy. And then, you know, they just got tired. I mean, that's gonna happen if you only have one or two guys available off your bench. So like no no shade on those Rockets players. They played hard the other night. It was just uh obviously the Sixers were a more talented team and Houston was shorthanded. So um yeah the Sixers bench played a lot better in that game, but it was also I think just the wearing them down that did it as much as anything mm-hmm. and it's just like because i think the bench like their worst benches in the nba the sixers don't have a bad bench at all it's just when you play that many guys together who like again we've talked about before really besides shake and george hill now none of them are really creating off the dribble you know matisse is like maybe the best permanent defender in the nba but matisse, he doesn't give you a ton of offense dwight just gobbles up rebounds and intimidates teams with his like length around the rim, but he's still very limited on offense as screen and roll. You have Furkan who can get really hot from three and will do some stuff off the dribble, but then also can get burnt on defense and sometimes take shots that you're like, Oh man, that, that one might've been like a heat check. (laughs) But so, and like, you just have that a little bit lack of creation, lack of a stabilizing force. Like these things will happen. And I mean, you saw in the bulls game where they were dominating the bulls. Then they just, their offense went cold. Kobe White and Denzel Valentine stopped playing absolutely horrible for just three minutes that game and hit a bunch of threes. The starters came back in. Kobe White and Valentine went back to being dead, and the game was over. So, like, like we talked about it before the season, if the Sixers were going to cut to a nine-man rotation, which I, again, like I agree with what you're saying, they might not given what Doc said and done. Like, which nine would you want it to be? If that's If that's a good number, like, having it at nine uh it was it's going to be dwight just because you need that backup center matisse because he's going to make an all defense team because he's and, I, and i don't think there's ever been a guy who made an all defense team that was then out of the rotation in the playoffs um and then you got to have george hill he's your your stabilizing guard who can play alongside pretty much everyone and then i guess it's you're choosing jake i yeah, or I think it, then then I think it's a it's either Shake or Corkmoss depending on what you need in the given like situation. Then I might actually like in terms of prediction, like I mean Shake, Shake's playing what like what I'm trying to see minutes per game this year. Shake is playing 23 minutes a game. They're not just going to excise like dude who's playing that much every game from the rotation. Yeah, it's so I think I think it would be Shake. So and honestly, though, the more likely prediction would be Shake and Furkan both play, and he at least sticks with ten men. Yeah, I, I think he probably will. I do think I, I know I brought it up earlier, but I, I don't think he's going to do the all bench lineup. Um, I, I think he will because we have seen some games where you know he, he keeps Tobias in or there. The one game he experimented with the bench guys, like when I was talking about the anchor stabilizing force for the offense, which because the bench still actually like you'll get some of their numbers. Their defense is fine because you have guys like Matisse and Dwight. It's just the offense. It's just very limited. 
but you yeah. give Tobias out there, it's like, okay, this is the let Tobias Harris cook minutes. For sure. Um, they experimented the one game with Seth with with the bench guys um, and, and, and allowing him a little bit more playmaking. Um, we, we saw when George Hill came, some of his first games, they tried George Hill as the point with Ben staying in and going to the four. But I think the problem with that is that Ben and Dwight together. Ben and Dwight should never be on the court. Right. So, so Ben can't be your like stabilizing bench guy because he doesn't, as you mentioned, it works with Tobias because then you can just let him cook. But Ben is not that type of player. He's not an offensive threat really, except in like transition or whatever else. So you're not going to have Ben with the bench guys because that doesn't really solve your problem. So Ben and Joel are basically joined at the hip with their substitution patterns. Um, so yeah, it's probably, it's going to be Tobias and I would think a little bit Seth as kind of those, those bench stabilizing forces among the starting group. If they keep, keep it at 11, just so we can play Mike Scott, I can't even imagine <laughs> what the reactions might be. Well, I don't even think it would be Scott if it was 11. I think it would be Maxi, right? That's what, that's what it should be if there was an 11th, but I mean, Never that's, doubt, that's been the rotation lately. Never, never doubt Doc Rivers. Just, <laughs> when in doubt, turn it back to Mike Scott. Yeah, you you can definitely see like, well, you know, we need a little shooting from that front court position, and he's got the veteran experience. Like, yeah, the, the lines have the lines are queued up, and everyone knows uh, what he would say in such a situation. So, yeah, yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Yeah, and I would definitely bet on the like you said, like if. I feel like the playoff rotation has to get cut because of how many guys the Sixers are playing. Like Tyrese Maxey, I would assume, just isn't – He. it's not like he's unplayable in the playoffs. If they are stuck for some reason, if they really need to change things up, he could definitely bring Maxey in. And, like, maybe maybe that's a game where Furk on Matisse or Shake then plays less. But I, I would say just in a regular kind of series, like, it's just going to be hard to play Maxi like you think in a conference finals against the Nets per se. Well, he he's definitely like <laughs> defensively that's a liability and like you already the problem against the Nets we were talking about the other week like needing to put like just you kind of have to like <laughs> you have to have as little defensive liabilities as possible on the court when you're playing the Nets and Maxi despite being a fine fundamental on-ball defender of great quickness and really like not afraid to get physical. He's very small, and the Nets' smallest guy, Kyrie Irving, is one of the like one of the few like small guys in the league. Where, like you can't just put someone on him. That's a problem. So that's probably why he couldn't get in there for rotation. And he's not going to do enough offensively to offset that. Yeah, it would have to be like a oh the Bucks have Bryn Forbes out there. Like yeah, we can we can we can have Maxi on him or something. Yeah, it's not going to be him against one of the starting guards for any of the top teams. Or or the Hornets are playing Devontae Graham. Uh, well, hey, Maxi can play against Charlotte. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so fine Max, with that. Let Maxi play 30 minutes a game against Charlotte. Like, send yeah. a message. Yep. <laughs> the future is now. The future is indeed now. Um... Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think that's going to take us to your fast five. I'll just, we'll transition that way because that's how these pods work. Um, so yeah, let's hit it. Let's Sean's fast five brought to you by Seth Curry. Still not having a bell ringer. Brought to you by my deep conspiracy theory to deny Seth Curry a bell ringer. Um, all right. First, uh, just a, a Daryl Morey appreciation. Um, I feel like we can have it every week if we want to, uh, but just a solid roster building move to give Anthony Tolliver that non-guaranteed second year. Uh, obviously, I wish it was somebody other than Anthony Tolliver that they had brought in and was now occupying the final roster spot for the rest of the season, just because, as we've discussed, he hasn't done anything. But uh, yeah, it will be very helpful to have that $2.7 million in the offseason to potentially bundle and include and try to uh bring in a bigger contract so just just a little uh small but helpful thing and it's good to have a gm that thinks of those kind of things yeah yeah you're 100 percent right like it's like doc it's doc i it's daryl morey's like whole brand is he makes these little moves on the margins that they don't seem super important at the time but they all kind of add up and you just keep adding on these little advantages and they keep helping helping then you get a little bit better rather than like organization like i mean look at the organization he left in the rockets where they just made a mistake in taking the maybe the pre, a guy they thought had more quote unquote star value in victor oladipo over karis lavert and obviously karis like the, the whole karis lavert thing's weird or or taking maybe back some more of the picks or with jared allen like the rockets kind of when they traded james harden they got some picks but they really didn't get anything in terms of present assets because they made a few mistakes with that and just making sure you get all those kinds of deals right really helps in the long run. Yep, for sure. And uh, we saw that with his his protege, Sam Hinkie, back when he was here. And uh, we're now singing again with uh, the mentor. So good stuff, Daryl. Um, next, the, the Seth Curry needs a bell ringer slot of the Fast Five goes to Seth having three threes in seven of his last nine games. And he's back up to 15th in the league in three-point percentage. Um, and I, I used a cutoff of guys who have attempted at least two per game. So that's, he's that's fair. Yeah. So he's uh, he's at 44%. And uh, he's a top 15 shooter in the league. So pretty much what you would have hoped for coming into the season. So he had a really hot start. And uh, then he got COVID. And seemingly, and he has admittedly said he he struggled with it for a while but it seems like he's kind of out from the other side of it and feeling good again and we we've really seen him uh come back to life lately and this is the the Seth that people were envisioning when they first made the trade with Dallas so um keep it up and uh your bell ringer will surely come in these last six games Seth yeah I was on a locker room the other day with Jackson Frank of Liberty Ballers talking about this and one thing I'd said with Seth is just like pointing out in that Bulls game the other day like we, he me and Jackson were talking about Seth looking a little more confident firing a little more freely all those kinds of things poor Lori Markinen like Seth Curry is not one to call for isos to try and like say I'm gonna do so he saw Lori on three straight possessions and he said like I'm gonna pull it out and I'm gonna dance on this guy <laughs> he crossed him and got the lefty inside finish then went to the step back like that is when you, if you're Laurie Markin and you need to really seriously consider who you are as a basketball player. Cause Seth Curry, one of the most, like one of the more timid, like shot takers in the league, despite being a great shooter. And one guy who's very much not like his, his offense derives on off screens, like dribble handoffs, pick and rolls, things kind of being created within the offense where Seth was just like, you know, screw the team offense. Uh, this is a mismatch and just destroyed him. Like I found that absolutely hilarious. Yeah, the uh, the finisher has to do some some self reflection after that one, and uh, he's, I think 
everyone who follows the Chicago Bulls right now is doing self-reflection. <laughs> yeah, the, the the central is having some tough times. Indeed. Um, and he's a he's a restricted free agent, right, Lori? So that's a that's not going to go on the old highlight reel when his agent uh, makes goes around to make some calls. They're, they're doing all they can to scrub that entirely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why why is this? Clip not available. Uh, you know, NBA stats.com, you know, that they, they lose their video clips a lot. I don't know what to tell you. I, I think he played great defense. It was just a really good shot. <laughs> All right. What's the third thing, Sean? All right. Third, uh, just a little Matisse appreciation. Um, the stat was shown on the broadcast last game, how he's ninth per game in steals, 21st per game in blocks and 171st per game in minutes. So that's absurd. Um, he was recently the NBA uh, Defensive Player of the Year ladder came out earlier this week, and Matisse was fifth on the list. Yeah, I so, saw that. I wouldn't take that into too much account, considering that like the NBA Defensive Player of the Year ladder didn't have Jamal Murray like third halfway through the year, and everyone's like, "What? Like Jamal's okay, but <laughs> but n- nevertheless, we we." We, we disparage it when they say Jamal Murray is good, but we 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 tout it when they say that Matisse Thibel is good. Um, and I, I really think the all defense thing is going to happen. It I feel it, like it, it was kind of like a, a Sixers. Oh, it's fun that we're all kind of pumping it up, but that seemed like a niche Sixers Twitter thing. Now I really think it's going to happen. I think I think you're right too. Like everyone points it out, like. Matisse is not a secret anymore. Like, I, uh, since I'm living out here in Evanston, Illinois, like watching the Bulls game, I had the, I had the Chicago broadcast, and they were talking about like when he comes in, like Matisse is a problem. Like, you gotta watch out for him when he gets in there. And it's kind of like, <laughs> I, I do think everyone knows him. The bigger question is like, does he finish anywhere near in Defensive Player of the Year voting? Which, I mean, the whole debate all year has been Rudy Gobert versus Ben Simmons. I kind of honestly think like. There's not a, there's a non crazy argument for Matisse. Obviously, you can only do so much in limited minutes, but he does about as much as anyone can in those limited minutes. The other one I would consider, honestly, if like you just wanted to be like um, be one of those one of those guys who makes a weird votes out of principle, like it's almost like Frank Vogel deserves Defensive Player of the Year votes because the Lakers' defense is still incredible despite LeBron and Anthony Davis being out all these games. If that makes sense, yeah. So it, I, I mean, it, I totally agree with you. Just that, like, I think Matisse is going to get it. Like, one, I, I doubt it'll be first team, just because it's so hard for some people to get past the minutes. But I would get guess second team for sure. He's incredible. Yeah, that's true. He's doing as much as he can. Um, just to, uh, I was curious, so I, I looked it up and. Michael Cooper for the 86 87 Lakers won a defensive player of the year award as a bench player. So yeah, it, he, has, it, it has happened before. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying Matisse. I, I mean, obviously, every Sixers fan thinks Ben should win defensive player of the year this year. And I'm, I'm not saying Matisse should win it, but I, I think it's, it'll be interesting in the future. He, he'll play a little more, I would think, but I still don't envision him like as a starter within the next year or two. So I, I think next year or the, or the following year, we could be making a real case for a defensive player of the year as a bench guy, which w- would be interesting. And Joel, Joel Embiid thinks he's the defensive player of the year too. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I know. I tweet, I tweet, I, well, that's, that's something else that, you know, was kind of interesting. And it's kind of spoke to the growing relationship between him and Ben it seemed like they got together this year and they said, all right, Joel's going to push for MVP and he's going to push for Ben as defensive player of the year and Matisse as an all defense guy. And that's the roles they kind of all like accepted going into the year. Obviously Matisse is just like his role was, I hope I play. Um, But between, between Joel and Ben, it's encouraging that they, they kind of, you know, said these are going to be our lanes. Like, you're the MVP. I'm the Defensive Player of the Year. That, that's the the public face 
that we're going to show to everyone. And that's how we're going to like campaign for each other so that we have a united front on this and we can, no one can say that we have a bad relationship, like all those rumors that have always persisted over the years. And it, I think that kind of like a team chemistry stuff helps even if, even not, if not, maybe not as much as people like to think sometimes it definitely does help. So um, that's been a, a really nice thing to see this year too. Yeah, it is interesting now that you bring it up that all those years of Embiid and Simmons don't want to play together. They really don't like each other that much. All kinds of fades away when they start winning a ton. It's almost like those rumors might not have been true and they were just losing some more than they like to. Uh, just a thought. Yeah. And um, well, it, they were actually, they always won when they played together. It was just, yeah. they always got hurt or something. <laughs> like, And then last year, the Sixers put together the clunkiest lineup we've seen in a long time of like where you somehow there are a few lineups that have added up to less than the sum of their parts than the 2026ers did so that was just a rough year all around but yeah like and beating didn't when we were talking about like the mid-season awards for the show like we kind of said maybe it's Embiid and Simmons is the best bromance just because they seem to really appreciate each other they seem to really both think they're really good i love it when they like try and do those little passes to each other inside and you'll see them dap each other up that they're pretty much really engaged with it I'll, i would say that another candidate to take that is ben simmons and matisse Thibel, like engaging as we're the two best perimeter defenders in the league we like to lock everything down that would be another one yeah uh a lot of bromances on the team anymore it's uh speaks, the, vi- the vibes are accurate the vibes are high um yeah good stuff that's uh one of the byproducts of being in first place i guess everything just seems a little rosier um mm-hmm. all right next the news came out that joel Embiid is eligible as a forward on Ooh! the all nba team um so high we, we can discuss all the implications of that in a moment but i just wanted to point out as one of my my stats that uh yeah, him and him and Dwight have played ten minutes together this season. Oh, that, was, that was the loss to the Hawks at the yeah. beginning of the season when they were going through the COVID protocols. And actually, I think I can find it. They were like minus one hundred in ten minutes. It was unbelievably bad. Yeah, it, it, it's funny that the maybe the absolute worst minutes Joel has played this year, just based on like his fit on the court and the team's capabilities as a you know harking back to the the old uh as you said last year the most poorly constructed lineup you could conceive of uh i think joel and dwight playing together would be right there alongside it and um but but those minutes are are what will enable joel Embiid to make an all nba team wait i will i will say so in that Hawks game, or first team, I should say, yeah. In that Hawks game, that basically their defense was zeroth percentile with those two on the court, giving up 184.2 points per 100 for cleaning the glass, which is like, I mean, you might as well just walk down to the other end of the court. That's so bad, but I mean, it's just overall a good thing. And I, we, you can debate whether you want to put Embiid or Jokic at the forward or center, but that was the big thing I had been campaigning for online this whole time, like. Embiid and Jokic should both be first team. They've been the two best players in the NBA, by my estimation. Jokic should win MVP because Embiid's missed so many games, and Jokic basically has missed none. And the Nuggets, despite all their injuries, are up to third in the West. And I think they have just a barely, like, what is it, the Nuggets this year? Are, the Nuggets are exactly one game behind the Sixers, which is incredible. They're a really good team, and Jokic is unbelievable. And I think that's what I was just going to be upset if like one of them did not get first team on NBA despite being fantastic players. I think they'll both get it now. Hopefully if they don't, then we seriously need, I have many questions for the people who vote for on the teams, more questions than usual. So like, I, I'm very happy about this. It sounds re- like a good uh, podcast segment for later this year. Dan- Daniel's questions for the all NBA voters. <laughs> I mean, the questions will only come out if Embiid and Jokic don't both make first team on NBA. Yeah. They should both be on it. Put Giannis at the other forward spot. Put Steph and, I don't know, Harden's probably missed too many games. We can debate that other spot, but as long as those four, like, 
maybe you go Steph, Chris Paul, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, and I'm okay with that five as your first team All NBA, just off a rough, rough estimate. But yeah, just it, it's good. That was very good news to see today. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of laughable band aid for the problem that the NBA has created by just not getting rid of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a positionless game anymore. It's kind of archaic to kind of hold on to those designations. Um, so if you're going to do these har- like ultimately harmless, but like kind of absurd things like call Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic forwards, just because you know that they both belong on first team, why wouldn't you just get rid of positions? Um, so maybe that'll come next year. We'll see. Uh, all right. Finally, so a lot of talk this week about the Danny Green cut. Um, he has been Danny Green cutting his heart out from baseline <laughs> to baseline. And uh, Doc Rivers said in the, the post-game press conference, like, I don't know how people forget about it. It's called the Danny Green cut. <laughs> that's that's what he does. You, sh- you should know that he does it. So I just kind of a question for you. Uh, what other great plays that are named after the player who does them uh, come to mind for you. We have, I, I thought of the, the Steve, like the gnashing. Yeah, like that's a good go, one. Dribble, dribbling under the basket, but maintaining your dribble and then not shooting and going out the other side. The TJ McConnell back backcourt heist. I, I feel like if, if you say someone pulled a McConnell at this point, yeah. people generally know what you're talking about. Um, so I just wanted to ask you what, what other ones came to mind? Oh, that's a good one. It's kind of hard off the top of my head, but and like that is hilarious. That Doc put it as like you know, it's this guy's entire brand. Like it's the same thing with T.J. McConnell. Like you know, it's coming. This is what he does. This is Danny Green will slowly walk back to the same side of the court. The action is happening on for a corner three. T.J. will not run back down on defense after they make the basket. He's going to wait there. Yeah. So- Remember when TJ did it to the Sixers and MB oh, just like yelled at Shake? Like, you know, he's doing this. Every Sixers fan on Twitter lost their mind. They're like, we know, yeah. like, if anyone knows who he's going to do this, it is us. We know who he is, and you guys fell for it. Like, this is the whole thing. You can't forget about it. Um, does the dream shake technically count as like one that's, I mean, it's named after? His yeah, that, that's a good one. Yeah, just for sure. It's like Hakeem's going to, and like, it is hard because that's like his trademark move is pivoting around till he scores on you and like giving him the little like Hakeem's trademark move was being awesome. Like but, yeah. um, uh, another one, uh, I don't know if people call call this, but like the Robin Lopez hook shot is very specific to him, where he holds it all the way out from his body. You know what I'm doing? Like the very, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Like his flips, like they're very, I, like I think Zach Lowe calls them ice cream scoops too, <laughs> which is another way, a good way to put them. But like it's a very trademark, like. When Rolo gets the ball inside, that is what he's going to. Um, oh, here's a good one. The, the T-Mac pull-up three, where he'll, like, kick his legs out a certain way. Like, like he's about to hesitation dribble and drive. But in that moment, when the defender gets leaning back, then he rises up into his three. It's something you see, like, tall shooters like Kevin Durant and Michael Porter Jr. go to it all the time. So the fact that it's been replicated kind of shows its effectiveness, and it's called, like, the T-Mac. So... That's probably another good one. Um, I don't know if there's another one I can think of the top of my head, like trademark moves. Um, honestly, we should start calling what Matisse, whatever Matisse does, chasing people over ball screens should be the Matisse because no one else does it like him. Yeah, the the going over and then blocking the jump shot at its apex from behind. Yeah, that could, that could definitely be a Matisse. Other guys do it, but Matisse literally like comes out of nowhere where it almost feels like he's purposely losing ground just so he can make it up again. And it's- and it helps that his name is a famous artist. So it sounds like it's a work of art whenever he does it. Like, ah, uh, there's another Matisse. <laughs> so I, I feel like that works really well. Yeah. Uh, All right. Those are pretty good. I think we did pretty well on that. Though. Yeah, cover some good ones. All right, that concludes uh, Sean's Fast Five, brought to you by Seth Curry for Bellringer. So we'll transition to my segment, uh, Danny's Corner, brought to you by my lack of concert going. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just going to – I feel like I have to keep bringing it up until I do go to a concert because when I do, eventually in the post-pan- post-pandemic-ish world, we'll have to talk about it if it ever happens. 
Like, we'll have oh, to it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> All right. So uh, for this week, we've talked a lot about today, like one seeds and just how important it is for the Sixers to have the one seed given the setup of the East. And I was just looking into like how really important it is. Like you go back through history, there have been 74 NBA champions. 52 of them have been one seeds. Sounds pretty good. Then you look at the other ones. 13s have been two seeds. Seven champs have been three seeds. There was one four seed champion. Do you know who it is? Four seed champion. I don't know. The 1969 Boston Celtics in Bill Russell's last year. Oh, that that was uh, I, I was I was plugged in that year too, so <laughs> I, I should have known that one. And then there's one six seed champion. I would guess you might know this one. Was that the lockout year? Um, or no, that the six seed was the Rockets. Yeah, it's the it's the famous Rockets back. Yeah, back. sorry. So yeah. those are the two lowest seeds. Everything else been a one and three seed, and generally it's usually a one seed. Um, just very often that the best team, one of the best two teams in basketball go, during the regular season, goes on to win the title. And I also looked at from the Eastern Conference one seeds to make the finals, basically over the past few decades. Now, in the 2010s, how many times do you think the one seed in the Eastern Conference made the finals? Out of You mean, like, so there would be 20 potential chances? No, so, like, who was the Eastern Conference representative in the finals? Okay, so just the East. So out, out of 10, how many times was it the one seed? Yeah, this is just the East. Okay. Uh, I will say, well, there's a lot of years that the Heat like LeBron teams didn't really push for the one seed because yeah. they had LeBron. So I, I don't think it would be very high actually. Yeah, um, right on that. yeah I'm going to say f- five, maybe only two, only two. Wow. With- okay. So I should have won even lower. Jeez. Exactly. The only two being the 2013 heat and the 2016 Cavs. And that yeah. is the thing where, so that almost like that gives more credence to like oh maybe that one seed isn't guaranteed it but if you think of like yeah, LeBron, it was just who had LeBron. <laughs> think of LeBron teams as an exception to said rule as they were basically the one seed. No one wanted to play them. They just didn't care enough at the regular season to get the one seed because then all the basically all the, six of the others were LeBron teams. The only other teams to make the finals were, were the bookends at the 2010 the four seed Boston Celtics made the finals and in 2019 the two seed Toronto Raptors made the finals as we all know so and then you go back to there in the 2000s only four one seeds in the east made the finals but then keep going back to the 1990s seven teams from the seven one seeds made the finals most of those being the Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan getting the one seed and then going to the finals then the 1980s you had again seven Seven times the one seed made it to the finals, most of those being the Boston Celtics and a few of the Detroit Pistons and the Sixers in 1983. 70s too, you also have six times the one seed making the finals. The the ultimate point being, it is usually like the case that the one seed makes it there, having home court advantage, not having to play in a 2-3 matchup when you usually have the three best it, there is almost something to usually there are a three a tier of three best teams in the conference and not having to play only having to play one of that two three matchup really helps and I mean another thing is like as we see with LeBron and Michael Jordan like having the absolute best player really helps I mean it's up for debate who is the absolute best player in the east right now but you could argue based on how they played the season it's Ben Joel Embiid which does seem to really matter Obviously, guys like Giannis, the three big three on the Nets, are all very good players themselves. But you could legitimately argue Embiid's right now the best player in the East and Sixers in the one seed. That does, I mean, I would still pick either the Bucks or Nets over them in a conference finals, just because that's kind of the skeptic I am. But it does, it does pretend well for the Sixers, like potentially making the NBA finals, which would be absolutely incredible based on what we thought going this season. For sure. It, it's, Different considering in a vacuum, do you think the Sixers or the Bucks or the Sixers would beat the Bucks or the Nets in a series? And now that it seems they're the one seed, you can look at it out like outside the vacuum and say, all right, do you think yeah, the Sixers are yeah, it's uh we're we're no longer we're in space now. We're no longer in the vacuum. Um now you you have to consider: Do you think the Sixers can beat the Bucks or the Nets after the Bucks in the next 
Nets just played each other in a seven game series where two of their guys are nicked up now because they had to play through a minor sprained ankle because it was an important game seven and the Sixers are coming off four days rest after winning their second round series in five games. Um, like that's a much different conversation than, all right, do you think the Sixers, you know, just roster to roster would beat, uh, would beat uh, Milwaukee or Brooklyn in the series. Um, so yeah, we, it's been much discussed, but that, that the one seed is very important. And uh, as we said, barring a collapse, it looks like they have it. Shout out to Milwaukee for ensuring that by beating the Nets back-to-back games, you, you will, you know, we will generally hate you if you meet, match up with the Sixers in the playoffs, but for now you are friends of the city just for now. So that, that was interesting. So I guess Milwaukee just like, Hey, we feel really good about how we match up with Brooklyn. Like knowing that them winning those games would mean they probably would have to play Brooklyn in the second round. I think versus... Milwaukee just trying, wasn't even thinking about it. I think they're just like, we just want to win games. Like, and yeah. as you know anything about Giannis, that's probably what Giannis is thinking. Like, I just want to go out and beat these guys. Yeah. I, I, I know as a player, he's thinking that, but, he he had been sitting a lot prior to this past week. Like he had an ankle thing. Like he was missing a lot of games. Like it wouldn't have been crazy for them to say like, oh, he's still got his uh, minor injury. He needs a rest day and like sat him out. And it, it would have been an interesting strategic thing for them to uh, say like, oh, we feel really good about how we match up with Philly. Like we're gonna sandbag these Brooklyn games, and we'd rather play them in the second round. Um, I, I know that's that's not really how things play out in in the real world, but just kind of an interesting thing to think about. You know, it, it helped the Sixers, so I'm not going to question it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, we're we're very grateful to the uh, the Bucks franchise. All right, we're gonna cap things off here with one non basketball question for each other, and mine for you, Sean, is. Say you are stuck on a desert island and you get to pick one movie, one TV series, and one video archive of an NBA playoffs. Like, so one year of NBA playoffs. Basically, you can pick which season it would be and you get to watch, you can watch all the games from that playoffs in the NBA that year. What, what three would you pick? One movie, one TV series, one year of NBA playoffs. So I get to watch it's not just Sixers. It's I get to watch the entire entirety of the NBA playoffs. Yeah. It's like the playoffs as a whole. Okay. Um, I'll go with the, was it 2016 when the Cavs beat the Warriors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was an incredibly fun playoffs. Yeah. That would actually be my pick too. Yeah. Golden state having come off their historic regular season and then the comeback in the finals by Cleveland, uh, that was one of the best series well, ever I, played. I actually like Golden State OKC, like from a pair of watching perspective. A little yeah, bit. I love that series. Yep, I was yeah, I, I was gonna gonna mention that as well. Like, just that was an like incredible series leading up to that one. Like, mm-hmm. you, there was just a, there was a, a lot of fun series in that in that that year. So, um, but just the the whole narrative of Golden State going for something that's never been done to like cap off a historic season. And then LeBron kind of overcoming all the naysayers that, and, and getting it done in Cleveland, you know, his, his, his hometown. And uh, that was just a really cool uh, way to cap off. what was an incredibly entertaining postseason on the whole. So yeah, I'll go with that. So you, you said you'd go with that, that same year. Yeah. And then one movie and one TV series. All right. Um, TV series, you would want to keep it light. Like, I love The Wire, but I wouldn't want to have to watch The Wire over and over again as the only show I get to watch just because that's that's too, like, emotionally punishing. Um, so I'll say Scrubs. Scrubs is a is really high up for me, and it's, it's super light, and uh, there's a little musical element to it with some of the stuff they do, so. it's quirky enough that you pick up different things every time you watch it. Um, I could, I could probably go parks and rec as well, Yeah. but I'll I'll go scrubs for, for mine. And what would you go with? 
Ah, oh, see, you're turning my own question back on me. Well, you got to give me a chance to think of my next answer. So, um, off the top of my head, I would I would say I'd probably lead in comedy too. Maybe go with community. Um, I, I love community as well. But th- but then you'd you'd be like, oh, I have to go with the the gas here, and, you and like you have to watch that season. You but then that that limits your like True. your cataloged like. I'm, I might go with the office. I, I would think about it. Also, I'm trying to think of it like sneaky, like Avatar The Last Airbender is really good if I just was willing to go with cartoon. And I would count that like, even though it's technically like a cartoon, you know, I would still very much enjoy that. But there's only three seasons. Hmm. I, it would be tough. Community or The Office, I would have to think more about it. Fair. I think that would be uh, a lot of people's picks. I do. I, I love Community. That's, that's one of my favorites as well. But the, just the... Uh, the Dan Harmon departure. I, I couldn't have that be the one show I get to watch it because the it's a it did it's a disrupted catalog, you know. Fair. In one movie. Hmm. That is a good question. Um again, I'm not gonna go go super serious. Uh you know what? I'm I'm gonna go not not one a lot of people really tout and it's not really a comedy per se either but it's something where anytime i watch it i just feel incredibly like heartwarmed and i just feel it's i just i just come away smiling every time i watch it and it's i, I think it's a really underrated one is uh, stranger than fiction hmm. are you I've, familiar i've not seen that movie so it stars will ferrell but he's doing it's it's more dramatic than most of his roles it's more of like a it's got a little bit of a romantic comedy element to it but it's also got a little bit of like a fantasy thing um and the conceit is that he is a person that is in with he's the main character of this famous author's novels where she always kills her main character off oh but the fantasy element is that he is he's actually real. And so you then have to consider that all of her characters that she has written have also been real people and she just didn't know it. Um, So now he discovers that she is writing about him and he's actually this character in this book, but he's also this, he's a real person and always has been. And uh, it's uh, it's really interesting. It kind of gets into some like metaphysical stuff, but also it's, really got a, a nice little love story and it's got it's really funny parts as well um yeah i, I just I, I love watching that movie i think that might be it nice i would probably go with i mean it's a chalk answer i like the dark knight a lot obviously the one with the joker in it it's sure my favorite movie it's so good i love every part of it very intense but just i'll be able to watch scenes from that movie all the time and think they're great so i'd probably just lean that one yeah. Also helps that it's about two and a half hours. So you get a little more bang for your buck with your one movie pick. Do you have a question for me, Sean? I do. Um, so you, you alluded to eventually getting to your first concert when the pandemic is over. Um, so what, what is the one thing that you're most looking forward to doing when things, whether, you know, you're fully vaccinated or you just feel like you're comfortable enough that life has gotten back to normal where you can, where you can do it. And it doesn't have to be something new that you want to try. Like what about your old pre pandemic life? Do, do you miss the most or what, what do you want to most get back to? This is also, this feels like an embarrassing question. I'm trying to think like any stuff I did that was actually really cool or fun. Before- <laughs> it doesn't have to be something like just like something you miss like it just be like a mundane thing but you're like oh i can't even do that anymore and it sucks like well good for me i so i've got the i do have the first dose of moderna currently so and hopefully getting the second dose soon so that's all good um i mean playing pickup basketball would again would be fun obviously just it's always fun to play basketball (laughs) so a good one um man i'm trying honestly this would be lame like i do miss in-person classes a lot at doing classes here at college for like the past year all over zoom 
it will be nice, especially for harder classes, just to be in person and get because it's just not the same getting yeah. help in your schoolwork over Zoom. Like I would just appreciate being in person, also just being able to see classmates. You know, <laughs> it's easier to like talk to them that way. So just like yeah. being in class, honestly, is something I missed. Yeah, I have to imagine it's it's very hard to to focus and get into like a academic oh, mindset. It just, is definitely hard to focus. Yeah, like you have you have a uh, hundred tabs waiting yeah. for you to distract you and uh you know everything else like the tv could be on or whatever else and... I, I fully have the option right now to turn off my camera and like just just search for like if i wanted to look up something about the sixers i can do it right now <laughs> those are the kinds of things i do but... <laughs> yeah, I was gonna, you can do anything he's gonna look up the the raptor like the seventh man on the raptors defensive real plus minus and that, that's that's going to just going to distract him, you know. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week, Shauna. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe. All those good things. We will be back next week, hopefully previewing the playoffs as the Sixers will maybe be very close to wrapping up the one seed in the East, and we'll see how that all goes. Uh, thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next week. That's right. Yeah, as of – Next Thursday night, they could have clinched the first seed. So maybe uh, we can have a, a pre a post first seed clinched pod. That'd be really nice. And we'll we'll talk to everybody next week. Bye, everybody.